This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. As the year draws to a close, the usual holiday pause in news seems largely ignored this year. And we've been able to find a number of security and privacy headlines from the gatekeeper Achilles attack to questions about the future of the Mac Pro to rumors of an Apple search engine and quite a bit more. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. We are in that run up to that final annual holiday before the final day of the year, which is another day leading us into another holiday. So we've got a lot of news this week. In fact, we were saying before the show, we're surprised how much news there is at this time of year, which is usually quiet. Let's start talking about Gatekeeper's Achilles heel. All right. So one of those vulnerabilities that was patched in last week's round of security updates was a Gatekeeper bypass vulnerability. And Jonathan Barr-Orr, who is a Microsoft employee who found this vulnerability, wrote it up for the Microsoft blog. And it is a little bit technical, but it's very interesting to see how he discovered this and how it leverages operating system features. But basically, Gatekeeper is this thing that Apple has had for a dozen years, and it's supposed to prevent apps from running unless they're signed with a developer certificate and they've passed Apple's basic checks to make sure that there's no malware and things like that. And so he found yet another gatekeeper bypass. There have been, I don't know, he lists six previous ones in his article as, as some examples of past gatekeeper bypasses. So this is not the first one. And, and this is something that uh, researchers are finding kind of all the time, it, it, you know, on average, at least one every other year, ever since Gatekeeper first came out. And most of those actually are in recent years. Thankfully, uh, we have good people like Jonathan Barr-Orr who are reporting these things to Apple and Apple's getting them patched. Okay. In other malware news, there is stalkerware called Exxon Spy that has been found on thousands of iPhones and Android devices. I find it interesting that we're linking to an article on TechCrunch that stalkerware apps are also known as spouseware. They are surreptitiously planted by someone with physical access to a person's phone, bypassing the on-device security precautions, and are designed to stay hidden from home screens, which makes them difficult to detect. Basically, you're not really – I think stalking is less something between spouses than it is between, say, celebrities and fans or your neighbor and someone who's stalking them. But it's still a bit – I don't know if it's actually illegal, but it's still a bit problematic because they can record anything that a person does on the phone, upload their contents and photos, etc. Yeah, and stalkerware is more common on Android phones just because it's much easier to install this kind of software on an Android phone, but it does exist for iPhone as well. There's some details in the article about the, the group that created this, I would say malware, we, we would certainly consider that to be malware. And the, the whole idea behind this, again, is just to, is to track people, track their movements on their website. They advertise how to catch a cheating spouse or partner with XN Spy, right? The whole idea is 
tracking somebody else without their knowledge, right? That's the whole idea behind this type of software. It was developed apparently by a startup in based in Pakistan, and they have some employees that are based in, in Cyprus. It's worth pointing out that this is not secretive software. This company has a website touting all the features of the software. I, I can currently get 40% off. There's a flash sale if I use the discount code during checkout. Uh, let's see. If I click buy now, let's see. It's $7.50 per month if I pay yearly. That's a pretty cheap for spyware, isn't it? Yeah, but, uh, you know, please don't. <laughs> no, I'm not planning to, but I'm just saying this is not secretive stuff that's hidden. This is something that's sold on the marketplace that anyone can use. Right. We want to make sure that people don't buy this software because then you're just funding the bad guys, and that's not what we want. Okay, in recent weeks, I think we've talked about two different stories where digital certificates used to sign software have been have leaked or have been stolen. I think one was Samsung. I forget what the other. Microsoft digital certificates have been again used to sign malware. We spoke recently about what would happen if Apple's certificate was leaked and that this would be a very big deal. Now, the fact that this is Microsoft, and again, I think one of the two we spoke about recently was a Microsoft story. So what's different about this one? Well, once again, these are certificates that Microsoft uses to sign software. This is very similar to the Samsung thing that we just talked about recently with uh, Android malware that was being signed with a Samsung certificate. This has happened before, as you mentioned, with Microsoft as well. And this has unfortunately happened again. As, as to why this is happening more often, it's hard to say, um, other than that perhaps maybe there's more employees at some of these big companies that have access to the signing keys, and maybe they're just getting a lot of offers from say, for example, foreign governments that really would like to have the opportunity to sign malware with these big companies signing certificates because it helps the malware to fly under the radar. It's very difficult to clean up after this sort of thing if malware does get signed with big companies' legitimate certificates. And so this is something that is, I, I mean, I, you know, nation states would be willing to spend a lot of money to offer an employee who has access to those certificates, right? I mean, $20 million, $25 million. I mean, for a lot of people, they would never have to work again if they got that kind of money. And that's chump change for a lot of these governments. Okay. We have a number of stories about Apple this week. That's a surprise, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so one of the, the stories that we wanted to talk about, this is really similar to something that we talked about last week, where we talked about the possibility and, and seeming eventuality of Apple opening up to third-party app stores on the iPhone. One of the other things that this, this headline just came out like right around the time we were recording the podcast last week is that Apple is apparently also considering dropping the requirement for iPhone web browsers to use WebKit. WebKit is, as we've mentioned many times, the the sort of back end for Safari. It's the guts of Safari, the rendering engine that the Safari web browser uses. But it's also used by many other parts of the operating system as well, not just on iOS, but also macOS and Apple's other operating systems as well. And so to date, Apple has been requiring browsers to use WebKit, which means that if you're using, for example, Google Chrome on an iPhone, you're not actually using Google Chrome's rendering engine. You're using 
Apple's rendering engine WebKit instead with Google's skin that they've put on top of it. And so this is interesting from certain perspectives. And I know that there's groups out there that have really been pushing Apple to allow third-party rendering engines because of, it. just for one example, security. It can be a good thing if, for example, if somebody is stuck on an older operating system and they can't upgrade to the latest operating system, but they can't afford to get a new phone then this could be a good reason for somebody to, for example, download Firefox or Chrome if those browsers actually were able to use their own rendering engine, then Mozilla or Google could continue to update those browsers for older operating systems and make them more safe to use online, even if you're not able to run the latest Apple operating system on that device. Do you think those companies are really going to do that, though? Or is this just an excuse? I, for a period of time, I think that they would, yeah. Because we, we do see a lot of third-party software that still runs on, for example, iOS 12. I just So one of the things that I, I do because I like to see what's going on with all of my software updates is I don't install updates automatically on my iPhone. I check the App Store multiple times a day, and I read the, the release notes. And I notice that one app that I updated just this past day said that it was finally dropping support for iOS 10. So <laughs> there are developers that are still making apps functional for much older operating systems than Apple is still supporting. Okay. In other Apple news, we talked some time ago about how Apple was providing repair kits so people could repair their iPhones. Now they are providing repair kits for certain Macs. So before you would have this really big kit of stuff and it would pull the glass off and you could change the battery, you could change the screen, you could do a few things. Now they're extending this to a number of Macs. It looks like these are Mac desktops with Apple Silicon and the studio display. Now I'm just taking a quick look at the repair manual for my 24-inch iMac. It is nearly 150 pages long. Now, obviously, you're not going to be doing all these repairs, but if you look at any of the photos, you can see that there are really complicated things going on. Now, if I had to, I don't know, replace the display in my iMac, that might be the easiest part, but I don't think I would want to, I don't know, take it apart and try and replace the Wi-Fi antenna or the battery board cable and things. And so this looks really complicated. Now, this could be useful for some people if you're far away from possible repair. I don't know how long it takes to get the stuff. I don't know how much it costs yet, but it is a big change for Apple to extend the possibility of doing your own repairs beyond just iPhones. It does say on Mac Rumors article that you can rent a self-service repair kit for $49 from a, an Apple store, and then you have to return it after seven days. But again, I, I don't really think that this is the best idea for most people. Whenever possible, you really do want to have professionals who work on this kind of equipment all the time do the repair. There are very specific niche cases where somebody may want to work on their own repairs, but generally speaking, it's safest, believe me, for you to, to have somebody who does this all the time repair your device. Just quickly, if you change the display on this iMac, here are the tools you will need. Adhesive cutter, adhesive cutter replacement wheel, display support stand, ethanol wipes or isopropyl alcohol wipes, micro terry polishing cloth, nylon probe, painter's tape, 
safety glasses, sticky silicone roller, and support wedges. <laughs> I used to do all of my own repairs on every Mac that I've ever owned. And then we got to the point where Apple has made repairability much more difficult on, on just about any new device. And at this point, I'm not going to repair any of more of my own Apple hardware for the foreseeable future. Okay, let's take a break. We'll come back with some more news about Apple and some other interesting security news. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Ventura and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Indigo Mac Podcast listeners. Indigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, while it's complicated to repair an iMac, it has always been easy to replace items in the Mac Pro. Not the trash can Mac Pro, but the cheese grater Mac Pro and its replacement. I don't know what they call it, those circles that look like alien eyes, but it's the big Apple Tower, the Mac Pro. And we're two years plus after Apple said they would transition all of their Macs to Apple Silicone, and it looks like they're maybe giving up on the Mac Pro. Again, I had a Mac Pro cheese grater and it was great because you could take things in and out. You could put hard drives in and take them out. You could put a second optical drive. It was really flexible. It was the easiest Mac to ever change anything. Maybe it's time for the Mac Pro to be over. Maybe Maybe the Apple Studio is going to be the Pro Mac with a faster model, maybe a little bit larger with a faster processor. But an article in Ars Technica points out that you know, maybe it's just, there's no need for it anymore. Well, as far as the, the form factor, I'm not entirely sure that it's necessary to have, you know, a Mac Pro. As you say, we've got the Mac Studio, right? And that's a form factor that could potentially handle something like an, an M2 Extreme processor, right? So this is, I, I don't know that we necessarily need a Mac Pro in terms of the, the form factor. Some people just like the way that it looks and they like the, 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 uh, I don't know, the heat dissipation and all that kind of stuff, but you could really do a lot of that stuff in a much smaller form factor. You don't necessarily need a big tower anymore. Yeah. I, I kind of think we might not see it, but given that Apple had promised to transition all their Macs in two years and hasn't succeeded, it's kind of surprising because the last transition from PowerPC to Intel was done more quickly than they, than they expected. So we'll keep our eyes open. I wouldn't expect it to come out in the months to come because that's the kind of thing they'd introduce at the Worldwide Developer Conference. It's not something for everyone. It's something for developers, for filmmakers and all that. But we'll see. In other Apple news, Mac Rumors is reporting something that people have been talking about for a few years. 
Apple pushing to launch a search engine to rival Google. Now, we have talked about this in the past. Google pays Apple about $15 billion a year to be the default search engine on Apple devices. Think about that, $15 billion a year. And even that is chump change for Apple, right? That That is not going to make Apple's stock go up or down, whether or not they have that. I think what's interesting to consider, and the MacRumors article is is citing an article in the information, which is behind a paywall. What's interesting to look at is how much Apple has done around search in recent years, search being Spotlight search on the Mac, on iOS, Siri search, which Siri does obviously things like sets a timer, sets reminders, but can also search for information. And it does suggest that maybe Apple is the kind of company to do this. We were talking about this before the show and wondering, well, how is Apple training a search engine? I'll link to Apple's privacy document about Safari search. It says, your device may send information such as location, topics of interest, your search queries, suggestions you have selected, apps you use, and related device usage data to Apple. This information does not include search results at show files or content on your device. We tried to figure out exactly when Safari combined the address bar and the search bar. It looks like it was about 10 years ago, but you've been able to search in Safari from the toolbar for longer than that. This is different than when you go to google.com and you search in Google's search field, because anything that searches through Safari, Apple is collecting that. I think the advantage that Apple has over Google is not just the search in Safari, but the Siri search, the, the spoken search that they have that Google may not have a lot of. Their Google's personal assistant stuff isn't very popular. So would Apple want to launch a search engine? If they did, what would they do to differentiate? Maybe not have crappy ads? Well, and, and that's the thing is like, so, you know, Apple's making a ton of money from Google, again, not a ton of money in terms of like Apple's total cash on hand or anything like that. I mean, Apple has a ton of money. <laughs> so 15 billion may not seem like a, as much money to Apple as, you know, it, it would to anybody else. But how much money would Apple actually have to make in ad revenue if they were to come out with their own search engine, if their own their own text-based search engine? If we're assuming that Apple is just going after Google's basic text search engine, right? They'd have to make a lot of money potentially for that to come out even. Now, I, I don't know that they're necessarily interested in that. I don't know if they necessarily would have advertisements included in their search engine. One of the big problems with advertising in a search engine is that at least historically, it's something that, uh, you know, the, the ads are kind of hidden almost. You have to look really closely to identify whether something is an ad at the top of your search results list or not. And so there's a lot of companies that pay big money to get up at near the top of Google's search results because a lot of users will just click on the first results. They don't know whether there's something malicious that it's going to take them to. And unfortunately, sometimes that has happened in the past. What would be the value of the goodwill that Apple could generate saying, these search results are based on what you are searching, not what you have visited on the web. All Google search results take into account tracking you everywhere on the internet. And Apple could say, we don't track you. We're just giving you results based on what you're looking for. Right. There's That would be the angle that I would expect Apple to take is, is you know, regardless of whether they include ads or not, 
they want the results to be able to be privacy friendly, to be able to say that their results are privacy friendly, right? That would be the approach that Apple would likely take on this because Apple is supposedly all about privacy. I think it would make a lot of sense for for Apple to to take that approach. Now, the big challenge, I think, with any company creating its own brand new text-based search engine is that rivaling the quality of Google search results is very difficult. There's really only like two big search engines out there, and that is Google and Bing right? So you've got Google and Microsoft are are the two big players in that market. And most of the other search engines just kind of use one of those existing platforms and derive their search results from them. So if Apple were to come out with their own thing, they would have to do a really good job. Like they would have to have top quality search results. And that's not easy to do. We've seen a lot of startups over the years there, I, I don't know if you remember, there was a search engine called Cool, C-U-I-L. <laughs> there have been a whole bunch of others over the years that tried to get into this game, and they just really never caught on. Okay, we have a story about privacy here. I don't think we should spend too much time on it, but you may know the company Anchor. They make accessories for iOS devices, etc., and they have a sub-brand called Eufy, E-U-F-Y, that makes security cameras. And, well, there were some issues that they weren't so secure, and... The Verge went to them and said, well, we have a lot of questions and can you answer them? And this Verge article opens with this statement. It's been two weeks since we reported that Anchor's Eufy lied to us about the security of its security cameras, and we've been pushing the company for answers ever since. The company apparently had a 10-point privacy commitment with things like there is no online link available to any video for your eyes only. Your recorded footage will be kept private, and apparently it wasn't. I haven't followed this the early parts of this story. You can follow the link in the Verge article. I, I think the, the, the key point here is that Apple's HomeKit secure video uh, will work with security cameras to keep the video secure that even the companies who run the cameras won't have access to it. Now, I don't know which brands work with HomeKit secure video. I, I know Ring doesn't. I, I have a Ring doorbell and some Ring cameras, and they don't work with it. But uh, you, you pretty much have to assume that every company is going to leak your data at some point. So you need to find the solution that is truly secure. Yeah. The, the really interesting thing I think about this article uh, regarding Eufy security cameras is that, so The Verge, you know, reached out to the company and asked them about these 10 specific points that they had listed in their privacy commitment. And I mean, some of them are just really vague, right? One of them is to start, we're taking every step imaginable to ensure your data remains private with you, right? So some of these are very vague and open-ended. And so The Verge asked them, well, what do you mean by that? And so ultimately what (laughs) Eufy did was they just took these 10 claims entirely off of their website. (laughs) (laughs) That's good PR because no one would have taken a screenshot of it before, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. And and it's not like there's anything like, uh, you know, Wayback Machine and other websites that uh, archive past versions of websites that anyone can go back and see what claims were previously there. But anyway, um, that's the funny thing about it to me is that uh, rather than address any of these, they could have had a, a, a marketing PR person kind of spin this, right, and say uh, – and come up with some kind of answer to most of these things. And instead, they just took them all down off the website. Okay, in related news about security cameras, swatters used ring cameras to live stream attacks. 
taunt police, prosecutors say. Federal prosecutors, says Ars Technica, have charged two men with allegedly taking part in a spree of swatting attacks against more than a dozen owners of compromised ring home security cameras and using that access to live stream the police response on social media. They broke into the Yahoo Mail accounts of these people. They were able to get the information to access the ring accounts. And swatting is when you call the police and say, well, there's someone with a gun and the police SWAT team has nothing to do. So they come and break down the door. And they did this basically for the lulls to be able to live stream what was going on. This is horrible. Okay, so swatting, obviously, this is not a good thing. Unfortunately, this is something that's been increasing in in I don't I want to I don't want to say popularity but it's becoming more common unfortunately in recent years a lot of journalists have been targeted and and now people are apparently just doing this um, to any old person that they can compromise their email account of so I guess one takeaway from this is this was made possible because people were able to break into these uh, ring users Yahoo mail accounts so make sure we've we mentioned this all the time but make sure that you're using a good strong unique password for your email account because that's one of your most important accounts of all you might think it's your bank account and maybe it is but you know your email account is right up there because Access to all of your other accounts can often be obtained through your email account. So make sure you're securing it. Use two-factor authentication to sign in to check your email if your email provider allows it. If not, I recommend changing your email provider. I just want to circle back to HomeKit Secure Video, and I'll put a link in the show notes to Apple's website about the Home app and about compatible devices. They list all of the cameras that are compatible with HomeKit Secure Video. There are brands like Acara, A-Q-A-R-A, Arlo, D-Link, Echobee. There are some Eufy cameras that are that can use HomeKit Secure Video, in which case, if you do have a Eufy camera, you should switch it over to HomeKit Secure Video. There's Eve, there's Logitech, NetAtmo, Onvis, Sumphy. I can't pronounce the last two. But if you do have cameras or if you're planning to get cameras and you really want that security, it would be a good idea to find something that does support HomeKit Secure Video. Worth noting that this is available with iCloud Plus accounts. If you remember, iCloud Plus is $1 a month minimum. So any paid iCloud account, you get a number of features, including hide my email and things like that. And you get HomeKit Secure Video. I wish Ring would move to that. I kind of think that since Ring is owned by Amazon, it's unlikely. But since Amazon and Google and Apple are all working together on this new standard called Matter, which is a descendant of Thread for all these home devices, maybe we'll start seeing this in the future. Okay, that's enough for this week. I hope you leave the milk and cookies out for Santa on Saturday night. And until next week, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.